So I'm going to talk about the Indigenous Film Festival that we are organizing. It's going to be the first. I'm so excited about this as well. It's the week before COP26 in London, uh, and it's the first Brazil Indigenous Film Festival oh in God. the UK. Yes! Oh my God, gonna, I'm definitely going. Definitely. Please, yeah. yeah. And it, it's gonna, it's taking place at the ICA, the Institute of Contemporary Art. Which is you in, know where it is? I don't know if I've been there. It's actually. at the mall in the mall. It's very close to the Queen. Uh, oh my God! Yeah, yeah. Because the yeah. Queen is a massive fan of contemporary art. I know, like exactly. She, yeah. And me. indigenous she loves... people. And, and indigenous, indigenous people. people. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But, yes. Yeah. There are um, yeah beautiful yeah. photos of uh, meeting indigenous people. You know, straight. <laughs> oh yeah. Holding Not her up on their shoulders. Exactly. Like that kind of thing. <laughs> Lovely, lovely feet, stuff. Uh, yeah. Down. So we're yeah. gonna be there. Yeah. We're gonna be there yeah. <laughs> with the queen. Lovely. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's gonna take place in at the ICA, as I said. Yeah. Uh, it it's three days of festival, twenty second of October to the twenty fourth. So it's Friday to Sunday. Uh, the ICA gave us prime time to showcase uh, these films. It's it, it's gonna be really exciting because. We, so we worked with Takuma to, to curate a program um, of 12 uh, films. They are varied. They are, they are short films, animations, documentaries, you know, feature films. There's a range of formats and, and, and styles. And what is very special is that all of them are directed by indigenous filmmakers from Brazil. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and I want you to, to say that because mm. it is most of the indigenous films that get to the big screen or to big festivals or even to Netflix, they are uh, directed or co-directed by non-indigenous filmmakers, you know, right. it's like, you know, and these are not, these, the, the films we were care, you know, Takuman was very keen mm -hmm. in making sure that the films that he wanted to bring to this festival were that, that this festival was a platform where uh, he wanted it to be a platform for indigenous directors. So all of the films, so there are 12 films from seven different communities, seven different indigenous peoples from, from across Brazil. And it's all about their agency, about the power of representing themselves through the yeah. cinema, of telling stories and their experiences uh, of what they are living locally in their territory or their visions of future mm. or the rituals. So there is a there is everything there, and I think it's really exciting that we we have this opportunity to do that at the ICA, such a big important institution to the cultural scene in the UK. Uh, in the week before COP26, it's incredible to have that opportunity to to be able to invite people to come and to to see different perspectives, different realities. There will be events there on those three days at the same time that then, and the films will also be available online for people to watch on demand. And, and part of the, of the box office will be donated to the articulation of indigenous people in Brazil, which is the biggest organization led by and run by indigenous people. So it's gonna be really, it's gonna be really exciting, yeah. Amazing. And hopefully there will be other festivals like this happening as yeah. well that we can do other years so make sure make sure you come 
let's make this a success. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so we can have more and more and more. 22nd to the 24th of October. Amazing. Yeah. Three days at the ICA. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'll send you the link. I'll put the link here. Swipe up. (laughs) link in bio like and subscribe and get your ticket yeah 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 Yeah. so please come i think it's going to be really exciting and i and what i want to say again just uh because it's the importance of filmmaking for this Mm -hmm. community it's like filmmaking became a very common practice in indigenous communities in brazil they are using the cameras, the mobile phones, their social media as weapons of yes. resistance, mm-hmm. of you know, fighting the invisibility that the government keeps trying to, to, to throw upon them. So it's really important that we, we watch, that we give this visibility, that we share, that we talk about, that we understand, because it, it is fight for, for their survival. It's part of the fight for the survival. And I think it's a gift for all of us to be able to, to, to know a bit more about those stories that they are bringing. Yeah. Because they are allowing us, I think that is, they are allowing us to get into their lives as well. They're showing, they're choosing what they want us to know about themselves, about their culture, about their families, about, so about their stories, about their, you know, their, their beliefs. Uh, so I think it's super special. It's from the, I guess it's for once it's it's something not through the I don't know I'm making up a word here non-indigenous gaze or whatever you know like right the imperial gaze what, or something. the imperial gaze the white savior gaze the um the 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 help you know just basically people kind of being helpful basically when it's maybe not the best thing how do you think you I mean you obviously think it's important for um for things that benefit indigenous communities to be indigenous led. How do you think that differs from, you know, when, when well-meaning people from the city come or from well-meaning activists from like Europe come over and, and take pictures and things like that. And, and also just, even if they're very, very well-informed, how, how does it differ? Like how, what is that vital ingredient that, that is, that comes from things being indigenous led and, and us, supporting them in what they want and them taking a leadership role? That is a difficult question. Mm. And uh, I will answer that question from my personal experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not a right or wrong answer, I think. Mm -hmm. I think, and I also think that it's such, it's it's so difficult because if every time there's a a imbalance in power dynamics, there Mm. is discomfort there is room for judgment. And so I, I honestly, everything that we are doing right now is what the way the practices that we are developing in Takuma of being, for example, indigenous led and the work being participatory of co-creating the ideas with the community of trying to answer those uh, desires of or listening to the community and using our work as a platform to to make those desires, everything, everything mm. might be down the line seen in a different perspective from what mm. I'm seeing right now or mm-hmm. that we are seeing right now. Mm-hmm. Don't think that sometimes work that was done in the past that nowadays we see with a very critical eye was seen or perceived. I think it's the front, 
I, I think we are constantly evolving mm. and changing the frontier of practices. So uh, I think what is important is for us to be pushing those boundaries, pushing mm -hmm. those edges, you know, and being there and listening to the design and seeing what, what the communities want. And I think that that is the best practice. It's, mm -hmm. There's no right or wrong. There's lots of wrongs, lots of wrongs, but what is the right thing to do? I think the right thing to do is indigenous-led. I think that's mm -hmm. the point, is trying mm -hmm. to give power away. I think mm -hmm. that that is, you know, give power away mm -hmm. and be at the service of the community. Mm -hmm. And it's not about what you believe is the best. And things change all the time. The challenges are different all the time. When we started doing this work with, with the Google, when we met Takuma in 2014, Brazil, the world, the challenges were different from what mm -hmm. they are nowadays in, in this. So you were talking about the evolving conversation. How yeah. It has to be an evolving conversation. And you were saying that um, in the beginning, when you started working with Takuma to now. Yeah. So just going back because, because of the sound issues that we had. I think that the, the challenges, the desires and the threats were very different. And I think that what is important is uh, to develop a solid partnership with the community. And I'm saying this about not just about indigenous people and I'm saying about, because from my work, I, I think I didn't say in the beginning. So I work in an arts organization, which is an arts research center mm. at Mary University called People's Policy Projects. Yeah. Check this out. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, People's uh, Palace Projects. People Palace software. Projects? <laughs> People's Palace Projects, yes. Yeah. Palace yes. Projects. yeah. And we work with various communities and arts organizations in, you know, in vulnerable situations and trying to overcome some development issues that are, that, you know, that, they are there that they are facing and we try to investigate how arts and research can be together a tool to support those communities to overcome those challenges mm -hmm. yeah so i think it's not just about in indigenous communities but it's about the imbalance of power in everything and i think the key for the work is about developing a solid relationship in which you build trust uh, in which there's room for experiment and for mistakes as well, uh, that you're able to respond to moments of crisis, that you can uh, advocate for the cause. Um, there are so many things, but, but I think the center is the collaboration, is, is trying to be as equitable and uh, as possible, you know, like if you're producing a material it, and it goes in every single level. If you're producing material, producing both languages, you know, and uh, it's something simple, but it's something necessary, you know, anytime that is possible, bringing them to talk with you or on, and share that. You know, there, there, there are so many things that I think people can do mm -hmm. that instead of speaking on their behalf, but speaking with them, well, they speak and you are there with them, you know, I think that is, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a question. And I think there will be, you know, I think down the line, I will look back at lots of things that we are doing and I'll question mm -hmm. some, mm -hmm. some decisions or some 
I think, and I'll be very happy to do that. I think that is the most important thing because if I do question, it means that I'm evolving together with the practice. If I think, if I'm always comfortable with everything that we have done in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so yeah. that does bring us to the question of, is there something you can point to in the past that you're like, well, I shouldn't have taken that approach or any sort of yeah. mistakes that you can think that you can think yeah, of? Lots, lots of, 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 of things that happened. I think that, what can I say in the, so for example, when we were doing the residencies, for example, invited artists from different art forms and there were some art forms that didn't, that we thought from our experience outside the community that this is really participatory, this is gonna really work, this is gonna be, and when we arrived there, it didn't match, you know, like it didn't, it, and you think of, uh, okay, I could, I could have done that differently, or maybe that practitioner, that artist is not the, you know, is not fitting all those boxes or it's mm -hmm. not in the headspace to actually be here doing that work. And there are lots of things that were surprised, you know, everything was a surprise. I think it's about being responsive to the surprises as well, because I was in an environment, I was, it was my first time as well. So I was producing, being responsible for 10 people, translating different languages, uh, oh my gosh. discovering, trying to get my head around things, respond, you know, and I was producing the artwork and the food and the transportation and the, tra mm -hmm. and the well-being of everyone and the, the, you know, the ethical agreements with the community, everything was, you know, there are so many things. And sometimes you have to, oh my God, how do I deal with that situation? How, you know, uh, and then there are, there are things that you discover that don't go, you know, like, uh, for example, I remember that, and it was one one thing that it was on our first trip that, for example, we we did not you know the community they they have their traditional ways of eating so they fish they eat cassava they plant and harvest cassava and 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 the, and the basic uh, you know uh, nutrition of the village comes from that uh, and then when when we were going we organized to bring other things that we are used because we don't want, we, as a producer, I didn't want our team to actually as well, maybe feel uncomfortable all the time with the food. You're spending 15 days eating a food mm -hmm. that you're not used to eat. It will affect the way that you're going to deliver your work as well. So I have to think in this two uh, sort of systems, you know, like we have to integrate, but at the same time I need to. So I was like, okay, rations or, rice things that we use rice beans proteins you know uh, a little bit of sugar coffee uh and i was taking those things in the community not to the community but for ourselves for us to eat and we we're cooking there together with them but of course those people would come and have a coffee with us eat with us let's sit together in the table and and eat so there were those moments and uh and then later I was talking to the indigenous nurse in the village and he was telling me that like, please don't give sugar. Ah. You know? oh. Like, yeah. Cause they don't have dentists, so right? They do. Well, they yeah. Do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like the, the provision, just, they have nurses, they yeah, have yeah. nurse, they have, you know, there is, a, there is a, a, 
Brazil has a good national health system there. Oh, that's good. Which has I was just thinking of my dad's village because yeah. they introduced sugar before they introduced dentists and that just ruined everybody. So. Exactly. So, for example, this is something that, you know, what, what where is the line there of being, you know, it, 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 there are so many lines. There are so many mm. things that I look in ret retrospective. Thiago, you, mm. you should have thought about that. Or, you know, but it's about the discovery. It's about... Mm. And, uh, and, and they were telling me, like, you actually don't know, but people here go a lot to the city. They drink lots of soft drinks and it has increased the cases. Now we have diabetes in the community. We have children with yeah. disease. There are so many other, you know, there's people with high blood pressure and they were coming to drink coffee with us. You know, mm. they were coming. So there are lots of things to navigate. So one of the things that we discovered as well, when I was talking about previously about the art form, uh, drama, theater is not something that the community wants. There is a, a barrier of representing something else, you know, that the theater brings. I am representing, you know, yeah. that for them is not something that they oh. want. They don't want the community to act on another character. I've heard oh, of this. I've heard of I've heard of something like this. And so there's a in in some indigenous in some indigenous cultures, there's a real aversion to uh, abstract concepts. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they they like a lot of what they can see in their see yeah. or feel or hear in their direct experience. Yeah. Or so, is that is, is was it something like that? Or no, I can't. I, I'm not going to enter into. Mm. Because okay, I am not, I'm not a theater right, you don't, you can't say why. I'm not an anthropologist. Why. Exactly. Mm. I don't have the answer to it. And this is something as well, way mm. that uh, I think it's important. I'm not an anthropologist. Mm -hmm. Our okay. work is not about anthropology. You know, mm. it's not, it, it is anthropology, but it's not. We, nobody's claiming to be anthropologists. Or anything. You're not studying mm. them. No, yeah. it's yeah. not about that. It's about how artistic practices mm -hmm. can support an indigenous group of people. Mm -hmm to develop, to, 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 to socially, economically, politically, culturally develop in the terms of what they want to do. You know, mm -hmm. we are responding to the needs of an indigenous artist. Mm -hmm. He's a filmmaker from the community. Mm -hmm. You know, he has his practice and he's like, I do this work with this camera. How, what can I do if I want to do 3D? How can I do that? If I want to learn, you know, and then we bring people and then we create, we try to create the space in which they can best work together, collaborate and immerse themselves. So they can, it's, it's about creating the atmosphere for those agents to meet and create a solid connection. And then whatever comes afterwards is a result, is an outcome, it's an output, it's whatever, you know, it is that. And, yes, and, and I think so much of the material that we consume and I consume around indigenous cultures is from an anthropological point of view. And that's so objectifying, you know, like it, it's a sometimes, very... It's, sometimes, sometimes yeah. it's incredible, sometimes it's mm -hmm. problematic. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's an, I do think it's an evolving conversation and it's hard to be 100% right. I mean, mm -hmm. what you're saying is so fascinating to me and so I relate to it, I know not like as an indigenous person but mm. as in a way of like I mean I think recently we've had a lot of conversations like this me and my friends about um racism or about you know experience who gets to own their experience 
But it just so strikes me that because a lot of us are brought up in the same brainwashed way or like Western propaganda, Western narratives, a lot of people find it very hard to understand that someone else from a different culture or different country will have a completely, could have such a completely different experience that you can't even, like you're saying, you can't even anticipate, um, you know, you can't even anticipate what the miscommunications or problems that are going to arise are because, you know, obviously duh, you don't have their experience. So how were you to know that theater would, you know, transgress something culturally for them? Exactly. That's so important. And you only know by, by doing because otherwise, how, by yeah, how would you discover that? Exactly. And, it, and and sometimes it's not a decision that comes from the whole community. The, the drama, for example, comes from the leader of the community. When we said, oh, you said, no, I don't want it. And you don't question. Okay. Right. Yes. So we are not going to do it. What else can we do? What, what do, okay. You know, and it's like that, you know, it's, it's, it, it is how we are going to navigate, you know, your, your guest in someone yeah. else's house, you know. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not, uh, yeah. So yeah, so there are those things that we rethink and, uh, and we could have done differently, but at the same time, I wouldn't have done it differently because it led into a different direction. It was important for us to rethink that way. And, you know, and I think it's an evolving work as well. So there will be things that we're gonna look back retrospectively and say like, oh, that is not how we would be doing right now. And I want to arrive at that point. I want to, I think it's important that we, we get there. And yeah. So one of the things that we'd mentioned before, I think with your documentary, um, well, I, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you even call it a documentary when it's like an ever evolving immersive, immersive piece of art? I mean, what would you call it actually? Video installation. Yeah, visual installation. It's those abstract words that you create to justify mm. the <laughs> Oh honey, it's a concept, it's an idea, but it's not, it's undefinable. Oh, it you kind of put it in a box. It's a concept, it's a yeah. destination. No, right. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's to describe it is to is to undescribe it at the same time. <laughs> it's a video. It's a video installation as it is right now because it's a video uh, with uh, documentary images, you know, with images, yeah. animation, quotes, an incredible soundscape. There are yes. panels, informative panels on the side. There is a poster which you have a parallel between the definition of what museums are and what indigenous territories are in relation to each other. So there are lots of different small yeah. things that, so that's why it's like, it's- Yes, and so I totally <laughs> now understand if you're like, okay, put it on YouTube, that's not the same at all, mm. at all. Um, but this does bring us to the thing of like, okay, so this is a podcast even, so podcast slash YouTube, but granted, if someone's just listening to this, um, the only part that we could really probably explore with this video installation multimedia immersion is the soundscape. Yeah. And so could you speak a little bit more about, um, 
your work with soundscape uh what soundscape artists or how yes. how how important was that aspect in your work totally so there is one artist uh that we invited to go on the first residency called nathan robin man he's ah mm. you know incredible he should be called jesus not myself and <laughs> it's just he's the sweetest man and he is an oral artist, a British, and he works for this company, uh, this, uh, uh, this foundation that we invited uh, for the first trip called Factum Foundation. Uh, I'm going to talk about Factum on when I speak about the fourth project. I'm ju just going to answer the something because I think they... <laughs> Spoiler they alert. Very special <laughs> place in this conversation. <laughs> yeah, but Nathan is an oral artist from there that creates, uh, you know, he's incredible and uh he arrives there with ambisonic sound record uh, equipment and because takuma told him when he met him before he went to the village he said i'm a filmmaker but i i do my soundscapes i don't do soundscapes i record with my camera so i do films with the, the sound of my camera so nathan said brilliant i'm gonna bring then what i'm gonna offer is i'm gonna bring microphones that we can put under this the the the, the earth under mm. the water that we can fly with Kai, you know, and he and, and can capture sound 360 degrees. So Nathan just arrives there with that technology for Takuma, and they spend these 15 days recording sounds of the village in 360 degrees. Uh, that Takuma to create a library. So Takuma can use that, that those those recordings when he does his films. So this is that's why I say like when an artist it's a, it's a great example of an artist that has access to a technology and expertise to a technology that Takuma didn't have to serve Takuma's intention as an artist his desire and he's putting his expertise at the service of of Takuma and the community so they spend these fifteen days in the community waking up I remember we woke up we used to wake up like three in the morning when the first star rises because it's the it's the moment that people used to go bathing in the past and we would travel to the river and put the microphone under the water one microphone in the tree to record the dawn the dusk to record the sound of the generator the dogs barking the you know, and he was creating this incredible sound, uh, a sound library, actually. It's a library of sounds mm -hmm. uh, of, of everything that they could record during those and rituals, of course, and people singing. Ajahe, 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 ajahe
this is a, this is an example of, of, of a very successful collaboration, uh, and it was so successful that later Nathan um, got a grant from the British Council to do a residency in another indigenous community in the Shingu because of the work that he had done before with his portfolio. So he was selected to go to another indigenous community and he recorded an album of traditional songs sang by uh, uh, the singer of this community, the Wauja. There is a CD, it's on BBC Sounds. It's just incredible, you know? Amazing. Like, it's, 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 it's incredible. You have to listen to that, yeah. And uh, so the installation, we mixed some of those sound recordings that Nathan did with some other recordings that Akuma had of people using their, you know, singing, dancing. Uh, so there's there are lots of layers there. There's the sound of the fires and the, you know, from the from the recording of the of the you know of the fires, you know. From with his mobile camera, so there are lots of layers of sounds. Uh, uh, it's it's really beautiful. I, I re the sound is something that I think uh, has this power of transporting you to a different uh, place, you know. And uh, yeah, and as uh, you know, it's not something that you would experience well in your phone or on, you know, yeah. It really does, I think. I remember this is we're talking about the Horniman music. The Horniman as well. The uh, Horniman. The Horniman, yeah. Horniman was uh that, that soundscape, that similar soundscape. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when um, we did the installation at the Horniman, before you go to the room where this the, the central installation was, an indigenous artist singer, he would walk with you through the corridors. The corridors were all dark. You couldn't see anything. There was just you know some green light on top to guide mm -hmm. you and he would walk and sing and there was a sound of the forest so it like you would take like three minutes until you get into the installation you arrive in the installation in a different mindset of what you arrived and you were led by an indigenous artist you know dressed in traditional costume you know singing inviting you and it takes you into a, a little journey and then you're somehow ready to experience something else when you get on the other side of the journey it really it really is different it's not just obviously the sound that comes when you record a video or the sound that comes when you use your <laughs> phone it's a it's a very very immersive sound and it really reminded me of like where uh me and Ileana's parents are from which is Borneo um especially the forest stuff I, um right. is sure. just uh I mean, it, it changes the air. The sound changes the air and changes kind of the feeling and the vibrations around you. And, and it was very, very evocative. And uh, I mean, I presume that the, that, that the equipment being used there is just space age or something like that. Yeah. Nathan, Nathan you know, he, he did a documentary about whales. Yeah. You know, so. He, he took a microphone that he mm -hmm. used in that documentary, like that he put, I don't know how, how deep in the sea to record mm -hmm. the, the way he was communicating. So, so he, he took that microphone to the shingle where we put under the what? soil, people, you know, hitting their foot on soil. And it was, you could listen to the, you know, to people stepping in the ground from underneath. Crazy. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it's just like um way talking about Sarawak sounds. It's kind of funny because it always it, the sounds in the rainforest are something <laughs> that I think a lot of our natives use to make fun of foreign foreign town people coming in and you know like because it's always like oh that's a a ghost you know like when it's actually a bird or it's just one of those oh yeah that, I do remember I mean? that. there's a bird that, that yeah. sounds like a, a piano um in Sarak I think and so that's like one of their like they use it to make fun of us I guess uh, <laughs> going to the jungle <laughs> so it's it is so evocative you know and probably mm. where a lot of our horror stories come from is the sound <laughs> of the rainforest <laughs> lots of ghost stories <laughs> yes ghost stories uh and now I think the fourth project oh, are you yes. ready to talk about that <laughs> but who's counting I mean <laughs> Well, I lost count. I have to count all of them. <laughs> uh, and the last one is a project that started. It's an ongoing project, is one. And it's with the team of Facton, where the team that Nathan uh, works with. And Factum is uh, one of the leading uh, digital conservation organizations in the world. Uh, God, they are incredible. And they are based in Madrid. Uh, they have this incredible workshop. Uh, it's it's led by a British artist called Adam Lowe, which is one of the most uh, you know inspiring men I've ever met. Uh, and uh, so they do incredible work documenting using three G technology to document uh, heritage at risk. Uh, so they do work in Africa. They work in in Middle East, uh, Middle East, they they, rec they, they create uh, perfect replicas of objects that are at danger. Or uh, so, for example, they have one of the biggest projects is the the, the Tutankhamun tomb tombs. So uh, so they documented when they discover the tomb, uh, the tomb or the tomb. tomb, tomb, tomb. Sorry, sorry. Putin common tomb. Shingu Kukuro. Yeah. So Kamon's so, tomb. Uh, and uh, so they recreated, they documented, they scanned to such details that they were able to do research about uh the tombs and archaeological discoveries on the tomb without actually having to go to the tomb that creates a risk of destroying you know the yeah, present yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so and so they create the perfect replica and digital um uh wow. you know documentation and datification of objects or whatever you want to do uh to that precision degree that you you know, you can't say what is real, what's not real. It's 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 incredible. It's like, you know. But to clarify, this is 3D scanners. 3D scanners, photogrammetry, mm -hmm. they have various technologies. So it's 3D, photogrammetry, whatever. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I, you know, this is also I'm not a technologist there. But there's oral, there's the, the sound design. Yeah. Like and they work with the most some of the most incredible artists. So lots of work that you don't know. Oh my God! How does 
these artists create this sculpture is done by them you know so artists like Anish Kapoor, Marina Abramovic, mm -hmm. uh, Grayson Perry you know they they create the work so these artists come they are the artisans mm -hmm. you know of these work okay. they they are a dream factory. That's how I, I, I say, oh my God, this is it. Whatever you say you want to do, it's possible to do with them. They have the best team of modern artisans, I think, mm -hmm. uh, in the world. And they have the commercial side of the work that helps funding the foundation side of the work. And then they do work in different countries. They approach, well, we were introduced to them um, uh, because they never had any work with South America. And then everything came into place. We met Takuma, the idea of the residency, their availability and their interest in, in, in forging new connections with South. So we invited them to go to the Shingu on our first visit. And our first visit was with them, with Adam, who is the, the, the director and three digital uh, specialists from Factor, which Nathan, the sound artist, was as well. Okay, I am just it's just, I, i'm just talking a lot about them because i think we have to give proper credit you mm. know of, of the incredible mm -hmm. in in one of the while we were there in the shingu uh the community told us about a cave which is uh, uh the cave of kamukuaka which is a sacred sacred uh, heritage site for them it's this beautiful cave that is thousands of years old, that has these thousands of years old engravings that are the source of their, you know, traditional design, body painting, pottery, basketry. It's the cave that, according to their cosmology, is the house of the first man created by the sun. You know, the first man lived there. And there's a whole story about how the sun, I don't want to say the, the, the story wrong here, because there, mm -hmm. so, there's so many details, but it was the first house, and I think the sun got jealous of men and transforms it into a rock to, to, to trap the men that was living in that house. Oh, my God. Cool. The first men start drawing yes. in, in the walls, and these are the knowledges and the drawings. It's so incredible. And these are, you know, and, and that, that's almost a book of learning of mm -hmm. the community because the story it's adam and eve you know it's mm -hmm. it, that stone for those communities uh and the cave the problem is the cave <laughs> there are lots of problems but the first <laughs> the thing is the cave when the shingu territory was demarcated in 1961 by the brazilian government there was of course a dispute on what's territory you know what's the size of the territory where does the land start where the land finishes and the cave was left outside the borders of the Shingu. Yeah. So it Is was it the most important artifact in, or, within the Shingu or, culture? I can't say that. Yeah. Uh, I can say that it is a the most sacred site yeah. for some of those communities. For one community specifically, uh, yes. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and, uh, and, and these communities used to, 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 to travel yearly with their young kids to the cave mm -hmm. and go to their camp and learn, read the drawings, hear the stories. So it's a, it's a cave that is so important for the formation of the culture, of the community. Uh, and we, but the, with time, of course, uh, there is the 
advance of uh, the, the agricultural frontier and the cave was surrounded by farms. The cave was not listed, the territory was not protected, it was outside the territory. And it created lots of tensions between indigenous communities and the local farmers. You know, them coming there every year, they saying who the disputes of the territory and all of that. So we knew it was a heritage site that was at risk. They told us this story, we, we never heard of the cave before. So they told us about it. And then we thought, okay, if we organize another visit with Factum, you know, we, we bring them back with the appropriate material so we can uh, do the scanning of the cave. So it's going to be safeguarded uh, digitally that work. And that can also be uh, an incredible support of, on the community's pledge of having that secret site listed, because we wanted to have that site listed, you know, having a team of international, one of the most important digital artisans in the world coming here to document that cave, we're gonna to go to the press and that is supporting, you know, creating documentation to get that site listed. Mm -hmm. So we organized a trip to go six months later, we got, you know, fundraised, organized everything, got everyone on board, and then we traveled to the community. When we got there, we found the cave already vandalized. So, yeah, someone, we don't know who, like hacked and destroyed all of the, all of the drawings from the cave. So they desecrated, mm. uh, they vandalized and they removed for the community meant that they removed the, the sacrality of the cave. Mm. You know, the cave is not, it doesn't, it's not a sacred site anymore. Mm. You know, know, and it was one of the saddest days ever, mm -hmm. you know, and it happened where it's interesting. It happened one week after the National Museum, Brazil National Museum caught fire uh, and that we lost like thousands and thousands and thousands of years of civilization, you know, the, oh the, my gosh. of languages, of cultures, of artifacts, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it was so sad. Um, so when when the team was there, the team uh, we filmed, and they did the recording of the cave vandalized. You know, they documented. They did this scanning of everything that was as as we found it. You know, uh, and uh, they went back to Madrid, and they have been and they worked for a year with the community remotely on Zooms, like we are doing now, uh, combining the digital scans that they did, photos, and they were asking the communities with the photos to redraw everything that was written there. It was like an extensive work of archeology with an incredible team of anthropologists, archeologists, all volunteers working with in this mix uh, to to, to redo those, 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 those drawings, those maps, those stories. And they managed to uh, produce digital and physical, a replica, an, an accurate replica of, of the original cave at the scale of one to one. So and imagine this cave is eight meters by four by four. It's a, it's, it's a massive structure. Okay. Uh, and they managed to recreate uh, both digitally so it's all in 3D data, but also physically, the cave, uh, the, the, the most important panel, the main uh, 
face of the cave with the engravings. And uh, so we, no we inaugurated that replica of the cave in Madrid in mm -hmm. 2019, just before COVID, before the pandemic, we invited leaders from the community to come to Madrid. We did a big celebration, like inaugurating the cave. And it was really fantastic to see their experience meeting the cave again, you know, like, is it accurate? Is it correct? It is what, you know, and it was so special, so emotional and so incredible to see like how, you know, um, and uh, well, COVID happened. So we couldn't take the cave back, the replica of the cave back to the community. Uh, we are, we will be fundraising when we can. So if anyone listening to this podcast uh, can, Link in bio, <laughs> wherever the link is. Swipe up, swipe up. Yeah, uh, we have to, yeah, fundraise a good amount of money to actually take <laughs> this massive eight meters by four by four cave with the people who mounted it, travel with all of this to the middle of the Shingu, build a structure for it not to be destroyed. Uh -huh. So it's a, it's a massive project oh on its own. And we have to find, uh, you know, ways of making it happen. So if anyone has any ideas of uh, organizations, foundations that would be interested in supporting that work or, or you know, private donors that <laughs> very welcome. Yeah, uh, because we want to take the cave back to the community uh, so they can carry on learning, you know. So it's, it's a, such an important aspect of the cult that they, people try to, to kill but it's not that it's there it's alive uh and 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 we can, it's something that we can we can do we can make something out of it so so it's there and what we are doing at the moment because of covid and because it's it's been now two years since the community can travel to the to the cave to carry on learning uh about their culture we we got a grant from the British Council, from the Digital Collaboration Fund, mm -hmm. and they are, and we are developing a virtual reality interface to the cave, so mm -hmm. that the schools and the, the the kids that are in the school in the community they can, and it's something that it's very cool for them because they would be so, they are so interested in the technology and experiencing VR and all of that. So we are combining you know, the experiencing of meeting the cave and learning about the cave with the VR experience interface. So we are developing that. We are in the process of developing that uh, so that they can have that experience while we can't take the replica of the cave. And it's safe, you, you know, it's, it's saved, safe in a, in a digital environment for mm -hmm. future generations, you know. So that knowledge, that the, the, the act of, passing the knowledge to the future generations is not lost. And it's fantastic as well, because with this grant, this grant has allowed us not only to develop the, the, the VR experience, but with, if, if, you are, if you are doing the VR experience, you have to give all the means for the community to actually experience the VR experience. So with that money, we are able to install solar panels mm -hmm. to six other villages and two communities that did not have power energy. So we are, uh, it's about 600 people that will be served, not only with the VR experience, which is one aspect of it, but, you know, people have free green energy in their houses, in schools, computers. So it's another, it's, 
it's another layer of importance for them, which I think is really important. Yeah. So hopefully that will be ready by March next year. What's the name of the project, sorry? Uh, the name of the cave is the Sacred Cave of Kamukwaka. So we have a publication, mm -hmm. a publication about the cave, about the process of, of um, you know, finding the cave uh, vandalized, the whole process of reconstructing it, rebuilding it, uh, until the launch, and there's the stories about the cave, the drawings from the community, from children about the myths behind, behind the cave. So it's all sort of documented in that book. Uh, you can download it, it it's for free. I'll, I'll send you the link to it as well. Can you talk a little bit, you sort of like brushed upon the forest fires um, and how it might be attributed to getting worse because of the Bolsonaro um, government. Um, I think if you could like talk about that a little bit and also whether or not, like you were saying that these things are the weapons of indigenous, these indigenous people, etc. But like, can you speak a little bit more about what the, um, the weapons are against? How does it actually translate into the policies or, you know, or the relationships that were mm. between like, capitalism say and environmentalism or whatever wherever it brings you <laughs> big that is big uh where can i start shall i say that uh yeah so bolsonaro was well, since he got elected uh his administration is uh doing everything they can in their power to to undermine and deregulate the environmental policies and indigenous rights in the country. Uh, so, and he got COVID, you know, the COVID pandemic happened during that period of time and it was a further, so I even took advantage of that to push further, to change the, the, the public uh, agenda and hide uh, the further deregulation. He manipulated the public agenda with the pandemic to further deregulate the environmental policies and the indigenous rights in the country. Uh, and, and so I think it's important when, when I think about COVID, I'm talking about COVID because it's something that is very recent and it's something that was, is a major um, threat to the survival of those communities. But there are intersections between COVID and the land invasions uh, for agriculture, mm. illegal mining, deforestation, criminal fires, persecution, racism, and so on, and so on, and so on. And... Uh, Can you talk about how he did that? What yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's part of his, but his, his, his governmental platform is to, one of them is to, is to develop the Amazon for... It, right. Wow. Yeah, it's to, it's the economic development of the Amazon. Uh, so, there what is kind of lands are they turn it into like soybeans? Soybeans, yeah. cattle, cattle ranching, land mm. grabbing, yeah. money, uh, oil exploitation, mm -hmm. uh, construction of roads, dams, railways, everything. Mm. And uh, you know, like yeah. he's, he's a tragedy. Yeah. Cancer. Bolsonaro is a cancer. It's yeah. 
and uh, and he so since he got into power, deforestation has hit a high in Brazil. There was an increase of ten percent from the previous year. Uh, just there is this number which I find it very uh, useful. There's three football fields lost every minute. Every oh minute. Mm. Every minute. So let's see how, how long will this podcast be in the end. Oh my god! How many mm. fields will have been lost just while we? Oh my god! And uh, and it the deforestation of the Amazon. It's of course it's a long process. It doesn't happen just with Bolsonaro, but. Brazil was on a way of decreasing that deforestation. So it went up again. And the problem is that we have 20% of the total tree forest is gone of mm. the Amazon. And, uh, and what scientists say is that if there's a 5% more of loss, if once we get to the 25% of the forest cover, the Amazon cannot restore itself anymore. Mm as a biome so we are going to be it's the it's it's the 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 tipping point for the survival of the amazon and from there he's got the, the amazon will be uh it's an irreversible transition to a savanna uh ecosystem you know and we are very close to, we're getting very close to this tipping point and it was very shocking that two months ago the amazon the, you know the amazon is the biggest uh tropical remaining for remaining tropical forest in the world and it plays an essential role in the cycle of the carbon in the cycle of the water and it was a great ally like together with the oceans the forests and the oceans mm -hmm. you know the best allies in, in, in fighting climate crisis and two months ago uh scientists um it was everywhere i don't know if you saw it it was headlines in the guardian new york times everywhere mm -hmm. It was, they warned that it was the first time since they started measuring that the, the Amazon stopped being a carbon sink and it was mm. uh, releasing more carbon dioxide to the oh, no. that it's able to uh, absorb. Ugh. Yeah, it's so urgent. And, uh, and what Bolsonaro is trying to pass bills uh, to downsize and to revoke protected areas in the Amazon and indigenous lands. He is granting, he's trying to grant amnesty to land grabbers. He is persecuting, actively persecuting indigenous and environmental activists. Mm -hmm. He is promoting anti-indigenous and anti-environmental rhetoric in the country. It is really urgent, it's really serious. And it's crazy because I don't know, I don't have the numbers from last year, but in 2019, uh, there were 20, 24 uh, killings of land and environmental defenders in Brazil. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 90% yeah, yeah. of those killings were in the Amazon. It were indigenous communities that mm -hmm. to protect their land people from the Brigade of the Guardians of the Forest, which was an indigenous group trying to protect those, you know, you know their territories. And it's, it, is, it is very serious, the situation. It's very problematic and it's difficult. It's difficult. What else can I say about Bolsonaro? <laughs> I mean, the, the, the so, killings of environmentalists is just like, it, it rings so close to home as well. Like, I hate to keep bringing this back to like 
Borneo and things like that. But yeah, pretty much exactly the same thing happened. Like you, yeah. you get people just disappearing and exactly like that. Yeah. And the thing is, what's happening within the indigenous is is the trying to revoke the rights of those lands that where they are living and they are protecting. It's proven. There is it's scientifically proven. There's lots of research show, showing that territories that have uh, that in which indigenous people have uh, been granted full property rights mm-hmm. deforestation rates two three times lower than areas that are just outside that's part of my argumentation on the, the on the exhibition in glasgow is that like they are working to protect their lifestyle they're not working because it's it sounds utilitarian it's not mm-hmm. it's like their lifestyle their traditional lifestyle mm-hmm. is so important in the fight to the climate crisis that if we do not actually engage with those communities, if we do not support the work and try to protect and, 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 and support their claim to the right, deforestation will increase and we are gonna go into a cycle that we, we are already in a cycle that I don't, I don't think we can get out, but there is so much that we can do and we have to do, mm-hmm. yeah. And protecting or supporting indigenous communities is the best way or one of the best ways to support the ecosystem in general because they are the best defenders of yeah. the ecosystem yeah and you're talking about Borneo, and, and and you know if you think about indigeneity globally mm. there is this data from the un that it's like indigenous peoples are five percent of the population they occupy 20 percent of the land in the world and in, wow yeah 20 percent of the land and that in that 20 percent of the land there is 80% of the remaining biodiversity oh in the whole world. So yeah. it's 5% of the population guarding, guarding, safeguarding 80% of the remaining biodiversity of the planet. That's yeah. incredible. So they literally are the defenders of, of just right. nature and, yeah. and, and biodiversity. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. And, and, uh, there is a, in the installation, uh, of Glasgow, there is a quote that I think it's, it's the quote that we put to finish the installation. It's from Sonia Guajajara. She is mm-hmm. the president of the National Articulation of Indigenous People in Brazil, which is an NGO created and led by indigenous groups. She, she's incredible. And it's one of those things that are so powerful. But this is one of those things, just going back to how things evolve and things change, I think until a couple of years ago, until now, I think the discourse right now is that how indigenous people are the guardians of nature. Mm-hmm. But it's it's almost utilitarian, isn't it? Like right. role of them. It's not a role. In an interview that she gave, yeah. she, asked, okay. she says, we are not the guardians of nature. Right. We are nature. Yes, of course. Yeah. You know? Because you, you always have it. And, and from a, like a Judeo-Christian tradition and you you always think of like man being elevated or humans being elevated and not part of nature we are the guardians of it and that's such a western way to put it because um colonizers mindset yeah but even like you know in in the bible and things like that they say that 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 man was yeah or yeah (laughs) that man was there to protect or to rule over nature where if you have um cultures which are more kind of in tune and just recognize their part in in an interconnected uh, 
ecosystem, you're not protecting nature, you're just existing as part of it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. I think she says it beautifully. I think that is sort of the discourse mm-hmm. that we're going to be seeing becoming, that we hope it will become the public discourse over the next year. That's what we, it's, it's the kind of mindset and the attitude that we need to make it available because we are part of nature. We are nature. We are. There is this tree and myself and this river. We are together. We are the same thing. We are the same entity. So I think it's one of those really beautiful mm-hmm. lightning moments mm-hmm. that you see, aha, I think this is, this is something so special, so easily said and so meaningful. And it's the opposite of what Descartes said. I don't know how many years, mm-hmm. that division of science and culture mm-hmm. of yeah. man and nature. I think that is the kind of frontier that we need to, to overcome if we are to survive the climate crisis. I think there, there is so much there. When you, when, when you look at it that way, it just all seems so incredibly stupid. Like you're just stabbing yourself in the foot, you know, like, or just cutting your own arm off, you know, it's just. Yeah, exactly. So I think there, I think that, that is a kind of sentence that mm. translates so much, mm. talks so much about their cosmology and that puts into a different perspective, everything that we know of how we relate with each other, how we relate to the world. That's why we have to learn, listen, collaborate, work with, support, advocate for, and all of those. Because I think that the key is somewhere there. I don't know. I don't know. Who am I to know anything? I I know nothing. I'm just... No, I think you do have the key. I mean, I'm a believer now. (laughs) I do think that there's not going to be a a simple answer, but just say, what is your call to action? (laughs) I call to action. Oh yes. One thing we can. Oh, I have to end with that. A call to action. <laughs> call to action. Uh, so I'm gonna say easy call to actions. Come to the film festival. Yay! <laughs> that is a good. Okay. Or you can watch it online if you're not in London. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You can watch it online mm-hmm. on the ICA, ICA mm-hmm. website. Uh, but I do think that is. Uh, you know, find ways of uh, strengthening and supporting indigenous associations and Mm -hmm. initiatives, donate, promote, invest, work with them, consume from them. (laughs) You know, they they, uh, invite them to to speak, to participate, uh, to decide, to make decisions, to be involved in, you know, in, in every single scale that you can, I think, and pay for them as well it's very important to acknowledge that the value of their insights of their work i think one of the one of the things that we have to do in general is to support and give space for the formation of indigenous leaders of activists of journalists indigenous politicians indigenous anthropologists and so on so i think that acknowledging that and 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 supporting them is really important.
The Ignorant Mess's Guide to Surviving Humanity is available as a podcast on Spotify and Amazon Music. You can also like and subscribe to our videos on YouTube. And if you want to help us grow, then you can become a patron on Patreon. And that's it, right? I think that's, that's it. it. Yeah. <laughs>